Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Wednesday, early afternoon. Just finished drafting my other talk for Saturday night. So let me see if I can do the Parsha now. Today's uh, talk is being sponsored by the uh, my good friends, the Pollocks. Paul and Kathy Pollock. Paul and Kathy Pollock in Columbus, Ohio, where I'm sure it's pretty cold. And I wrote to them the other day how they were standing the, uh, <laughs> the COVID and everything else. Mir Hashem, we should all come out of this safe and sound. And... Uh, I'll see more. We'll see each other more um, in person when they have occasion to come to Baltimore. As always, as the year is ending, we're thankful for all the sponsors. Now let's give a few moments of thought to Parsha's Vayechi, which is a very strange Parsha. I mean, what's the story with the embalming with the mummies? Right? You got to admit that is weird with the mummies, and uh, not only that, but according to the story, I mean, I, I didn't see everything. But, uh, you know, Yaakov is, the, the mummy of Jacob is transported to to Mars Machpelo. I mean, I don't mean to sound funny. Did they unwrap him? Is Yaakov still buried like a mummy? You know what I'm It doesn't say anywhere when they took him and buried him, so then they took everything off. Uh, I'll peek then you should, you know, because the worms have to get to the body and all that. On the other hand, maybe with Atzadik it's different. And then again, maybe with dealing with one of the others. You know, maybe different rules. But that's what I'm saying. It's all very unclear. When you get what's this business with with the mummies at the embalming and so forth? All which leads uh by the way, before I proceed, I have to say I looked last night in the art scroll uh on the Bracious and um you know from long ago. And talk it says what I was talking about a couple weeks ago. It says that in this week's parsha you know, uh, it seems that Yaakov and Yosef didn't interact for 17 years. And uh, Zatos is a rush of all places who says Yosef didn't want to get together with his father in order to avoid having the conversation where Yaakov would say, where were you for all these years? And, you know, who kidnapped you? And what happened to you? It's not a conversation Yosef wanted to have for the sake of protecting the brothers. So Zatos is a rush. That was interesting to me. But to get back to the mummies, so we're told... As we all know, a major part of this week's Parsha is the funeral of the patriarch Jacob. It goes to a great deal about that. That's not all it is. You got the blessing to Ephraim Menashe. I know that, like you know that. Uh, you got the last will and testament to the, the 12 tribes. Yes, all that's true. But a lot of it has to do with, with Yaakov begging Yosef, summoning him, and saying, you know, Sim no meaning I want you to swear by anything valuable, that you'll do not bury me in Egypt. That's just interesting. Now, I mentioned the other day, I saw the Ksav Silver because I was talking about him the other night. He says, and I'm sure many others must animadvert on this theme, that Yaakov is afraid of being buried in Egypt because it will become a shrine there. And, uh, you know, because Egypt has all those mummies of kings and stuff like that. 
in the pyramids. Yaakov didn't want to become another one of those. First of all, from a very, very technically from uh, point of view, from a frumi perspective, Yaakov didn't want to be a nevad. But the Gemara says, you should not only worship Avodah but you should not be worshipped as an Avodah Zarah. And Keshem Shenifrin Minha Ovdim Kam similar in Nifrayim Minha Nevodim. I think that's the language of the Gemara, if I remember correctly. You will perhaps recall that Daniel was punished for this because when Daniel told the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, I just remember, I think it's in Baba Basra, when Daniel was, uh, was what do you call it, uh, uh, raised to a high position because he interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the dream of Nebuchadnezzar was one in which the king did not remember the dream even. So it's not like Pharaoh's dream where he knew the dream, he didn't know the shot. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't remember the dream and when Daniel was able to tell him what he dreamt in addition to telling him what the shot is, so Nebuchadnezzar was so freaked out he said he must be a god. I said he like worshipped him or something. And the Gemara says somewhere that he was punished for this uh, because just like you punish those who are over him, you punish those who are nevodim. So one thing you want to go around in life is make sure you're not a god to anybody. Nobody worships you. Don't worry. If you're a married man, you have nothing to worry about. <laughs> Your family will cut you down to size. But the uh, Yaakov was afraid of that. And uh, by the way, it's for perfectly understandable reasons. Uh if you go with the famous Chazal that says that the you know it never turned out to be seven fat years and seven lean years. It t- instead, it turned out to be seven fat years, and then like one or maybe two lean years. I forget. And when Yaakov showed up, the famine ceased. So here you are, an Egyptian farmer, and the river is not uh, giving the water, and you're dying away. Except you have the old food from Joseph stored away. And then this Jewish guy with a long white beard shows up, Yaakov. And when the day he shows up, the river starts again. So, you know, ro- ro- roaring as before. So they're not stupid. One plus one equals two. Post hoc, ergo propter hoc. If Yaakov showed up and all of a sudden the famine ends, Shema Yaakov is the one who caused the famine to end. And um, that, by the way, is uh, the many divertors on this. I'm sure I must have mentioned here. These are golden oldies. They say, the this famous story to Shagasarie is that when he, I'll skip the, most of the story, get to the point. Shagasari was old. He came to this city where with a proposal to be the rabbi there. There's a certain story behind it. And they said, you're too old. And it happened to be Parshat Vaigash. And he said, uh, don't worry about being old. What's shot with the story of Yaakov meeting Paro? Paro says, And then Yaakov says, I've had a bitter life, and I'm not as old as my parents were. So what does that mean? And the Shagazari interpreted to mean, according to the famous story, that Pharaoh was saying like this, You, when you showed up in Egypt, the famine stopped. Wow, you must be amazing. Either you're a tzaddik or from an Egyptian mentality. I'm sure they didn't call him be a tzaddik. You must say, you're a magician. You're a divine being of some kind. That's how the Egyptians were interpreted. And according to Shagasari, Pharaoh was saying like this, you're old, man. You are old. I mean, you're about to kick the bucket. Bad news. That's terrible. We're relying on you to keep the famine from hitting us. And then Yaakov assured him and said, don't worry. I've had a bitter life. That's why I look old. 
but I ain't nothing yet. I'm 130, but my parents got to 147, and so forth and so on. Right? My father gets up, Nate to 180, so I'll be around for a long time, so Egypt will be safe as far as the food and the famine is concerned. And the story continues, as Shagazari said, you keep me as a rabbi, I'm, I'll be here for 17 years. And and he was. That's not exactly 100% accurate, but it's close enough. The point is, they connected with the Parsha of the Shavuot. And the point of that is that he's calling, as a, every good Torah has, to a very striking insight, which means from the point of view of the Egyptians, this Jacob is amazing because when he showed up, the famine stopped. So he must have hocus pocus or something, or something, right? And therefore, if he's dead, it's too bad. Meaning, it's too bad to contemplate. It's too horrible. Maybe a famine will restore itself. But if we make him a mummy, he'll still be here. And we give him the, uh, uh, a Dika pyramid or something. And then the famine will continue to stay away in the source of the magic power of his goof. You know what I mean? That is a Gaisha way of thinking. Uh, and Yaakov didn't want to have anything to do with that. And he certainly didn't want to be buried in Egypt. And I was adamant to the Chassam Sofer, who was always fighting like his father, Chassam Sofer, against the um, assimilation, the acculturation. And his interpretation was, if Yaakov will be buried in Egypt, then the Jews will always be very chashib in the eyes of the Egyptians, and there will be no anti-Semitism. And uh, when there's no anti-Semitism, Jews do not survive the Gaulists. Isn't that funny? That's funny, right? You say the opposite. Well, not so simple. In order for Jews to survive the Gullus as Jews, history teaches us, you need a little bit of anti-Semitism. Not a lot, but you need some. We need that there should be resentment against the Jews, and that kind of keeps the Jews more on their toes. Uh, that's what the more or less the Ksav is kind of alluding to. And you know, it could be debated, but roughly it's true. Uh, you look at America, when there's zero anti-Semitism, most of the Jews intermarry assimilate. It's, it is what it is. And not only here, it's been in every Gullus. Siak uh, was afraid of that, therefore he said, uh, I want to be taken out of Egypt and buried somewhere else. Then that way they'll forget about me. And you'll have a situation by Yoko Mel Chodesh Amitzrayim, Ashaloyadis Yosef. And it was Ashaloyadis Yosef, you can be darn sure, Ashaloyadis Yaakov. And then they could say, let's enslave the Jews. You know, they're a threat to us. That's his approach. The point of all this being is, the, these different Torahs coming from different angles and with different agendas do help in pointing out that the position of the Jews in times of Yaakov and Egypt was a very delicate, interesting one. And they were guests, and Pharaoh treated them very well. And they had food and all this kind of stuff. And in Goshen, they could even set up yeshivas and Jewish neighbors, as we would call it today. But it's still, you know, the headquarters of Tumah, you know. And what do you do about that? Now, Yaakov, therefore, is in, in my reading, my reading, that's all you ever get with me. Yaakov is afraid that when he dies, the Egyptians might not want to let him be buried outside of Egypt. They might consider good luck for one reason or another to make sure that he's buried in Egypt. And the only guy that has the clout is the viceroy, is Joseph. That's why he calls him after 17 years, because he says, you know, you're still high in the government, and the king respects you, and you can pull it off. 
But Yosef, and it's true, and he does. However, it's not so pushed. I mean, Yosef can't go to the Egyptians, to Pharaoh, and say like this, Look here, your majesty. Egypt is Aviyavos Atuma. Memtesh Shari Tuma. That's not exactly a way to, uh, with, how do you say, win friends, influence the people. What the Egyptians want to hear is Egypt is a Ghanaian. It's the best place in the world. As a matter of fact, the Egyptians are like that Adi Amazet. If you know anything about Egyptian culture, they insist their country is the best, the best, the best. I, they're starving, they have a million social problems, all the rest of them. No, they don't. They lie. And that's how it goes. Which is interesting, because things have not changed in thousands of years. But whatever. So here we are 3,000 years ago, at least. More like 3,500. And uh, he can't go and say, I guess my father wants to get the heck out of here. He definitely doesn't want to be buried in your fashtunk in a country, Egypt. So what's he going to do? And so he has to go and say, well, this is my father. You know, my father made an oath that he wanted to be buried in the tombs of his fathers. All right, now you can understand, right? Person wants to go family plot. That you can understand. And Pharaoh takes it the right way and even says, bury your father as he made you swear. Nothing against Egypt. As a matter of fact, Pharaoh says, we will come along and make it really right. We'll do it up in the right style. We'll give your father not a $10 funeral. We'll give a $1,000 funeral. You know what I mean? Million dollar funeral. Now, you can believe it for me. If we're up to Yosef, this is where the delicate situation of Gaulus comes in. The, in my mind, it's a beautiful play. Uh, you know, exquisite drama. Because Joseph is not in the position to say like this. To tell you the truth, Pharaoh, we would prefer to be no Goyim. <laughs> Like you see at a film funeral, only people went to the mikvah to hold the, the coffin or that kind of thing. Only Shema Shabbos. I'm a Kohen, but I know, you know, I can see on the screen when you watch the funeral. No, no, he can't say that. He can't say, we actually would prefer no Goyim. He's not in a position to say that. Instead, he says, thank you very much. And Pharaoh kind of takes control of the funeral because it says, Vayali Toh, Kol, uh, what's the expression? Kol Chashuvi Mitzrayim. And all that, the whole base paro, and in that context, the Egyptians kind of run a big part of the funeral, and um, that's probably why they embalm him. Uh, you know, Joseph can't say don't embalm him, let him rot. Uh, doesn't work like that with the Egyptians; they wouldn't understand it. It's also true, maybe, that they needed to embalm him because it's a journey of days and days from when you're walking from Egypt to Israel. You know, the body will decompose. Leaving aside the question of whether tzaddikim, you know, that happens to. But you can't count on it. Until we end up with this funny situation in which Yaakov Avinu, the greatest Jew, has more or less what we would what we consider a geisha funeral. Now, not in the end. Not in the halachic, you know, details. At the end, he's taken there to Israel and he is buried in the ground, you know, in Kever Yisrael, as we say. And all that is done correctly. But between the beginning and, and that point, a lot of strange businesses happened. You know, in Baltimore, where I lived, I think I told you this, Rabbi Rice used to be the rabbi of the only shul in town uh, back in the 1840s, and it was the Orthodox shul, at least formally. And there was a breakaway, made a reform. How did the reform happen? In the Harsane, they call it, which recently went out of business. Harsane Temple. Some of these members of the shul, German Jews, 
were members of these, um, what's the right word? Uh, not clubs. Like the Friars, the Goodfellows, the Shriners. Uh, what am I thinking of? Whatever the word is. And, you know, they belong to these organizations. And, you know, like the Masons. A lot of Jews were in the Masons. And they have a lot of funeral rituals. And the story is that a certain Jew died in 1840, 1850 maybe, in Baltimore. He was a member of one of these Masonic lodges. That's what I was thinking about, a lodge. Belonged to all these lodges. And at the funeral, they did all kind of lodge shtick, you know, what they dance around and what they put a hat on. And who knows what they do? I don't First of all, I'm a Second of all, I've never been in a lodge. But they do all kind of shtick, which was not in conformity to the halacha. And the story is Rabbi Rice protested. But this is America. They say, you dare protest our lodge rituals? We quit the show and they start a reform temple. So I'm simply telling you that when it comes to these funeral businesses, you know, a lot of different cross-cultural um, dynamics present themselves. And for some reason, Yaakov Inu happened this way. So first of all, he's embalmed. And second of all, they have a long funeral procession. For some reason, the Parsha goes to the trouble to give you details about this. What does it say? It says that the whole Mitzrayim went all the big shots. Egypt. I want you to think what that means. All the members of the royal court. That That is weird. Okay? That is weird. It says, Vayal Yosef Likbar Saviv, Vayalu Ito, Kol Avde Paro, Zikne Beso, Vichol Zikne If that's not a rhetorical expression, I want to repeat what I just said. The whole cabinet, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, and all that, Vichol Zikne All the elites of Egypt, the nobility, I mean, it's quite a scene. The nobility of Egypt, the aristocracy of Egypt, the generals, the princes, the Galochim of Egypt, the priests. This is strange. How would you imagine if at the funeral of Moshe Feinstein or Avad Yosef is a whole bunch of Catholic priests? They're coming just to show respect. No indignity uh, intended. You know, they don't mean nothing bad by it. Or a bunch of Muslims. It'd be weird, okay? My boys Baha'i Ara. It'd be weird. But if you look, I'm just going to be what the, par- the Torah tells you. It says, Vayal Ito, Vayal, call of the Paro, Ziknebeso, that means all the VIPs in Egypt. Call of the all the servants of Pharaoh, the Ziknebeso, which means all the senior officials. It's what we would call today the cabinet and all high machers. The Chol Ziknearitz Mitzrayim. And in addition to the elites in the palace and Pharaoh's government, you had the intellectual elite, the religious elite. It's crazy that Yaakov Inu is accompanied by a bunch of Egyptian priests, among others, and professors, and wise men, and whatever it was. Uh, for some reason, the good Lord ordained it this way. Okay? And also a military escort. Right? Vayali to gam rechev gam parashim, infantry and cavalry, the chariots of Egypt. So, in their mind, obviously they were doing honor to Yaakov. But it comes out a very uncomfortable Orthodox Jewish funeral service. You know what I'm saying? Imagine somebody from today who had a lot of Geisha friends, and when you come to the funeral, row for the people there are not Jewish. They don't mean bad. As a matter of fact, they, they're coming the opposite. Coming from respect. Very nice purposes. Yeah, but a from Jew would prefer, you know, that they send flowers or something like that. Don't come my mom to the Leviah where you do the Korea and the funeral. You know, that's better among us. 
And I can guarantee you, Yaakov would have preferred his, you know, 12 sons, the grandchildren, the Eniklach, that's fine. But not all these claims. <laughs> I remember, I'm reminded, I said this story the other day. I remember, it's not the same thing, when Menachem Begin, the prime minister, died in his older years. So he left in his last will and testament that uh, he wants to be buried by the Hebrew Kaddish of Yushalayim. In other words, a strictly Orthodox, no, I'll take it back, a strictly ultra-Orthodox funeral, Nusach Yerushalayim. Now, anybody who knows anything knows Yerushalayim is no shtick. You're dead, you're buried five minutes later. That's how, that's the meaning of Yerushalayim. They bury you in the middle of the night, okay? So, in other words, Begin was saying like this, I don't need a state funeral, I don't need flowers, I don't need 21-gun salute, I definitely don't need any guy in there. Which is interesting. And I remember this. We can look it up. It's an actually interesting story. And although he was 100% observant, but he was the firmest prime minister of Israel so far. The, the, the one who, uh, you know, and he had the most sympathy for uh, for Yiddishkeit. And he certainly understood a Jewish funeral. And like Yaakov, he wasn't interested in all the geisha fluff. Okay. Now, Ben-Gurion and Golda Meir and all that, Yitzhak Rabin, they had, you know, the flyover, and like I say, the, the military parade, and all the th- other things, which are nice and are meant to show respect. And to, you know, I At the level of showing respect, I get it, but it's not a Jewish thing. Right? That's not how Jews show respect. Every country has its own way. And to the degree that Israel does it, to that part, they're you know, trying to ape a foreign culture. But Begin, more the regular way, and... I remember it was in the papers. He didn't even have a coffin because Yerushalayim they just put you in a in a, in a, a uh, what do you call it in a, in a in a talus, you know, the goof. And they didn't announce anything. They just said he died and they're going to bury him there in Harzaisim. You Google this. I think it's on the um, YouTube. And I remember hundreds of other people showed up on a Friday. I think it was just sort of spontaneously to walk along the procession, which took very quickly. And here's my point. When it was announced in the paper, or in the news rather, that the former prime minister died, so the U.S. government said, yes, well, what should we do? Jimmy Carter immediately said, he's, I'll go. I'll represent America in the um, fu- state funeral because I was the president when, when, when Begin was the prime minister and we did the Camp David thing together, even though they had very bitter relations. And Malcolm Begin had no time for Jimmy Carter. And if you know who Jimmy Carter has been since then, He's always on the PLO, so and the Hamas now, so you understand that. And basically, you know, the U.S. government, so I guess we're going to send as a special delegate, uh, pre- the former president of the United States, Jimmy Carter, and Begin's family. So I guess it's not necessary. <laughs> he can stay home. It's over. <laughs> the whole thing's over. You know, and uh, believe me, they didn't need Jimmy Carter over there. I can tell you that Yakovino didn't exactly need the professor at the Egyptian University. <laughs> 10,000 years ago. He certainly didn't need the Obdi Abedazarab, all the Kol Zikne Mitzrayim, all the religious elites that worship the frogs and the everything you can think of, if you know anything about ancient Egyptian religion. But they were there. They couldn't do anything about it. And not only that, but they even had, you know, Egyptian funeral style, it says. Again, for some reason, it tells you all this in the Torah. It's by Yavoad Goran Otal. They came to a certain place in the Transjordan. Now, I don't know why they went that way, you know, up the Dead Sea and the other side. 
Well, tell me the details. Who spoke? <laughs> like we'd say today. Who spoke? What'd they say? What was the Hesped? And what did people say? They said, boy, that is at one big Egyptian funeral. We Hicks in Canaan, we Canaanites, have never seen an Egyptian state funeral with all the fancy schmancy sticks and licks. But we see one now. It called the place of Mitzrayim. This is where we had a major Egyptian funeral where who knows what they did. Maybe they sacrificed children. I mean, I don't know what the Egyptians did. Right? And um, now, if you want to meet a dyke, this is just me. This is like a frummy interpretation. It's But they gave him a big funeral. At which point, I think, this is just my opinion, at which point the children said, like okay, the funeral's over. We'll do the last... Uh, We'll do the last Dalahamas. In other words, from from Governor Otod, uh, we'll take the body to heaven. Vayas bon of low, king kasher zivam. Vayisu also bon of arts of Canaan. Vayikber also mars steamachpelo. Interesting. In other words, the children, the Jews, then said like this: We'll take them the last uh, nine yards, cross the Jordan, and take them to burial. You don't have to accompany us. So, in other words, the Gaisha funeral was held with all full state. Um, Honors and all the Vodazar stuff that went along with it and whatever. And then the kids say like this is that we take over from over here. We're very grateful to you. We're gonna come back very soon. The, but the last part we can handle ourselves, and they bury Yaakov in a strictly Jewish cer- ceremony in Mars Machpelah. Now I could be wrong. It could be that the Bosik means that the Egyptians went with them. I get the idea, I don't know. I would like to think that that's right. Maybe some of you will look at all the Mepharshim. Maybe somebody will say what I just said. But uh, all this brings out the rather delicate nature of the Jewish experience in the Galut, in the Gauls, because Yosef is the viceroy, but he's got limits. And when you're somebody else's guest, there are certain things you can't tell them. And um, you're not in position to say. And uh, sometimes very uncomfortable. You have to go along with it. They have to go along with it. Now, Yaakov was lucky that he had a son who was the prime minister. Joseph was not that lucky. You know what I'm saying? When Yosef dies later on in this parsha, at the end, he has no Joseph as his successor. I don't think we think about that. Who succeeded Yosef as viceroy of Egypt? Some guy. Which is natural, right? The rise of Joseph was highly improbable. It's like what you call, uh, you know, uh, what's the word? Hashkar Pratis. And, you know, that's what makes it a great story. The vice royalty of, each, uh, of Joseph. But then when he's gone, they get a regular Egyptian guy. Once they have Egyptian guy, something they had respect for Yosef and all that. But uh, for at least for a while. But um, he can't, there's nobody who can get permission from Pharaoh for Joseph to be buried in um, in what he called in Canaan, in you know back home in Israel, isn't that interesting? And so Joseph is buried in Egypt. Now I know he says, "Take me out of here when you leave." So um, what he called, he's embalmed, correct? I think so, right? Doesn't it say Joseph was also embalmed. Um. Uh, or it doesn't say. 
Yes. Interesting. It doesn't say he was embalmed. Just he talks about his bones. Uh, right. So Joseph was not embalmed. So uh, what do you call? He's buried in Egypt. The only thing is, so that's interesting. In other words, he was stuck, being stuck in Mitzrayim for much longer time. Although, as you and I know, he said, take me out of here when you leave. Take me out of here when you leave. So Yaakov was able to get out right away. Yosef was able to get out for a long, long time. Which is kind of interesting. And I don't doubt, uh, this is just, again, opinion of mine. I don't doubt that Yosef is probably buried in a Geisha place. Um, it reminds me of the fate of one of these uh, big gadolim I spoke about a year ago or whenever, Zinsheim, or David Zinsheim, the Yad David, who was the chief rabbi of France and during Napoleon's time, the during the time of the very anti-Semitic Napoleon Bonaparte. And Rodolfo Zinsheim had to walk on a tightrope. He was a real gutto. And he was the chief rabbi of France, and he had to go along and say the Jews are Frenchmen first and Jews second, even though it's not what he really held. But he had to do what you got to do, just like Yosef got to do what he got to do. And my point is that this famous person, Rodolfo Zinsheim, is buried in the Geisha Cemetery in Paris, Perlachez. Uh, because he was a chief rabbi of France, therefore he was an official of the state. And at that time, the French insisted, if you really hold that your Iker is French and your Jewish is Tuffle, as you say it is, then uh, you got to be buried in the Geisha Cemetery. And there he is till today. Which is very sad. So if you go to France, if you go to the Geisha Cemetery, you will see among all these thousands of Geisha graves, you'll see one of one of the big Gadol Yisrael. He was a Gadol Yisrael. You can look at the Chazam Sofer's Hesper for him. It was one of the Gedolim Yisrael. And he was just in, in a tough spot at a tough time. So Yosef, therefore, I don't think, you know, it's probably buried in some uh, prestigious place. Now, I think this bothered the Chazal. And it doesn't accord with what we would like to think. And therefore, we have many stories. It doesn't say in anywhere exactly. There are different Midrashic versions of it. And Joseph's uh, 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 coffin was actually at the bottom of the Nile. Remember that? And Yosef, I mean, Moshe brought up with Ali Shore. Uh, why do they say that that way? Uh, I think, I, I don't know, first of all, but I think because the alternative is very bad. Uh, if Joseph was the vice of Egypt, chances are he wasn't buried in a Jewish cemetery in Goshen. Chances are he's buried in a, in a pyramid or some stuff like that, you know. And when he's fancy Egyptian things, the Egyptians are very, very into death and funeral stuff. That's a very famous part of the ancient Egyptian culture. Very preoccupied with that business. And uh, here's this poor guy, Yosef, who tried to hold both, you know, camps together, help Egypt and help his family. They end up like Zinsan being buried in this Egyptian situation, which is why he said, get me out of here when you leave. Which is sad, because what it means is, short of a nace, I ain't getting out of here. When a miracle happens, when Hashem remembers you and miraculously takes you out of Egypt, knows Joseph could already tell that Jews are not getting out so easily. It's going to take a pekita. It's going to take an act of divine intervention, which we say is the supreme act of divine intervention. That's what the Passover Seder is all about. right? That's what it's all about. Yad Chazakas, we're to you. When all that happens, then you can take me out of the cemetery in Egypt, like you, 
like we would say today, if France got nuked and you know, everything was all going to hell in a handbasket and nobody was looking, then you could go to that cemetery and take out David Zinzah and bury him in Israel. You see? Short of that, it's not happening. So it's very interesting to me that in this week's Parsha, it's one of the sub-themes. We have, you know, life and death in the Geisha culture. And it's not so easy to, uh, what's the right word? Pry apart the tendrils and the fingers of the outside culture that grabs a hold of you when you live there. You have no choice. You have no choice. And there's a price to pay. So the Jews were able to live in Egypt. And they were able, as long as they wanted to, to be Shomer Shabbos or keep the bris mila, as we say, as long as they wished to. And they weren't bothering those essentials. But there's a lot of little, you know, lesser things which are kind of important, including where you live and where you die and how you're buried, and among whom you're buried, um, which, which happened along the way. And it's just interesting to me that this Parsha kind of foregrounds this and makes a big deal out of it. Um, so that even though God told Yaakov, I'll get you out of here. It wasn't simple. As they say, it's just interesting. I don't know if there's an answer if anybody writes about this. Yaakov was embalmed. Was he disembalmed when he came to Egypt? I mean, when he came to Marsach Pelo? If not, you have a most unusual situation. Listen closely, I'm about to tell you. You know, we have today these mummies left over from ancient pharaohs. There's some around. And if you go online uh, and you Google Ramses II, who was supposed to be the pharaoh at the time of the Exodus, maybe is, maybe isn't, that's a complicated question. But he's one of the famous uh, Egyptian pharaohs, Ramses II, maybe among the most famous. So he was buried with, with a mummy, you know, they mummified him, they embalmed him. And therefore, his goof is still there under under the, the, the sheets, you know, under the bandages. And they x-ray it. And you can look, if you want to see what Ramses II looked like, in death, of course, but it's his goof. You see his face. Uh, he's an ugly son of a gun, but then again, he's dead, you know. Uh, if you want to see what his face looked like, you can do it. So imagine, this like boggles the mind. Here's the from Indiana Jones. The from Indiana Jones. He goes to Morris Machpelah. He gets into the grave of Yaakov and bring x-ray. And then you can see, assuming that Yaakov was never disembalmed, that, that he never took off the sheets. Uh, we would like to think, like I said before, that after the Egyptians gave him the whole state funeral in Goran Atal, the children took over. So I guess, from here on, the Chabra Kaddish, I'll see you around. Um, maybe, yeah. Maybe not. That may be I mean, up. The reason I'm saying is, if it was the Chabra Kaddish, probably I would assume, I'm just assuming, that when they got the goof of Yaakov to the Morris Machpel and nobody was looking, they undid the bandages. One would one would think. But I don't know. The raise the question itself is kind of weird, but I think this whole Parsha of the burial of Yaakov, which is given great play. This isn't me picking one tiny little thing and making a ganza business out of it. It's a major theme for one reason or another. I don't know why the Torah Saint Akadosha goes through a whole long arichas to discuss this, but it does. So Shmami Noah, there's something uh, in there with permanent lessons for all of us. I leave you to speculate that as you have your conversations this coming Shabbos. And with that, I wish you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, 
please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.